Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Join me today. He's a former NFL tight end, public speaker, and entrepreneur. It's Kevin Green. How are you doing today, Kevin? I'm doing well, Alex. Thank you for having me this evening. Well, we're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do first with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Of course. Um, born and raised in Oakland, California, um, Northern California child. Um, things I were involved in growing up, uh, sports for, for a lot of kids growing up in the big city um, and obviously church. church as well so sports church and uh having the responsibility of uh being the oldest out of three um so you know taking on a lot of responsibility given to me from my parents taking care of my brother and sister was sports something you always enjoyed doing it got you out of the house and just enjoy being out there and that's what you fell in love with um you know it was a situation to where sports was something that I was always involved with from day one, right? Growing up, um, I I was born in 1990. So I grew up watching guys, you know, Wayne Gretzky, King Griffey Jr., Michael Jordan, uh, Brett Favre back in the day, (laughs) you know, so basically uh, Bo Jackson. So all those guys, you know, I I looked up to from a sports standpoint and, um, you know, due to the fact that a lot of people in my family followed through sports, it was something that just followed suit with me. Was there always a one sport that was your favorite or something that caught your eye, even when you were watching it? Basketball. Um, just like every kid growing up in the 90s. You, if, if I could be like Mike, right? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> basketball was my first love. Yes. Were you always um, trying to imitate Michael Jordan and be like, I want to be just like him, be professional, things like that? Oh, of course. Of course. I mean, aside from sticking my tongue out as I'm going up for a layup, (laughs) (laughs) you know, there's things like that. Um, But yeah, just trying to mirror everything that that, that he was about. I wanted all all the Michael Jordan shoes. I think growing up, I might have had about five of them. Um, (laughs) So, you know, he was definitely a big influence um, in my life, as I'm sure he was for a lot of young athletes growing up back in the day. You talked about being the oldest of three. Did you kind of have to be like a mentor or a leader for your siblings or kind of lead them the right way? Yeah, of course. Um, I think that that's the responsibility of any older sibling when you have younger siblings, right? You have to look out for them. You have to show them the ropes outside of what, you know, your parents, their parents um, show is show the three of you guys, right? You have to lead by example. Um, The, you know, being mature and growing up early is something that was distilled upon me because our father grew up, um, not grow, he didn't grow up, but our father was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis um, when I was about 10 years old. So, you know, having to help my mom take care of my dad and having to help, you know, just my dad on day to day really helped me grow up quickly. Um, you know, aside from that, physically, I was always the tallest, biggest and stuff like that. Do you think that helped you later in your life that growing up quickly, you kind of learned the yeses and the nos that you should be doing? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's all about responsibility and knowing what your responsibility is um, at a young age and being able to interpret that. um, It it, it definitely helped me with life lessons uh, down the road. I, I think that there's there's things that my parents instilled um, in me at the age of, you know, 10, 11, 12, that at, at the age of 31, I'm, I still follow and, and, and still do. 
What was one of those life lessons that you still use today? And it's kind of like the top one. My mother, growing up, my mother always would tell me, you know, Kevin, don't be a sample, be an example. Right. And so when I was younger, um, you know, she, she would always she would always say that. And it took me time to really get it. Uh, you know, when I, I just heard it so much that it was just instilled in my brain to where she would say, Kevin, don't be a sample, be an example. Right. Like, don't do the same thing that other people are doing. Right. Be an example of what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. It's almost like kind of be your own person. Like, don't follow that crowd, kind of lead that crowd in a way and kind of brings me to like a quote that I love that it's throw me into the wolves and I'll return leading the pack. It's kind of exactly. like, you don't want to just follow everyone. You want to be the one that's getting out there and showing people how you should be doing and being that full on leader. My dad always told me as a, from a young age, you know, Kevin, you're going to, you're going to grow up to be a leader. You're going to grow up to lead. Um, and you're always going to set the example, not only for your siblings, but for other people that are around you in your life. And it's, it's crazy because, you know, growing up, your parents tell you these things and you don't really like understand or really physically see it until you're an adult. Yeah. And, you know, there's parts in your life to where you are following suit with what they said. Um, and there is an example of, you know, the things they told you you were going to do as a child that you see yourself doing in high school, college and even past that. Growing up, did you have any motivations or someone that inspired you? My dad was always my biggest motivator. Um, you know, I, I, I was blessed enough to grow up with both my parents um, in the household, you know, which is something that a lot of young African-American kids, families don't really have the opportunity to do. Um, so, you know, because of my dad's illness, um, he was always my biggest motivator, because if I can see that man, you know, go from walking on two feet to a cane, to a walker, to a wheelchair, to a motorized wheelchair, right? If I could see that whole um, decline, if you will, right? If it's not hard for him, then there's nothing that is in life that's hard for me. Was there ever a time that when you were growing up that it got hard for you and you kind of remember what your dad told you and the things that he was going through that told you, I can do this, I can keep on going? Yeah. Yeah. I think even before I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say so much when I was younger, but I think a lot of that resonated with me um, in college and past college uh, when it came when it came to athletics. Um, and, you know, I'm sure we'll get to that. But that, that that's, that's where it really kind of honed in on me. As you're making your way to college, what did you want to do with your life? What was that dream job that you were going for? Well, my dad. My dad was a retired architect, so I always had a, you know, kind of a fancy for that. But he and I, something that we'd always do is watch ESPN and we'd always watch, uh, you know, First Take, SportsCenter. Mm-hmm. And Stephen A. Smith was a person that I always looked at every single day. And I was like, you know what? I can do that job. Um, I wanted to be on TV. I wanted to go into journalism, broadcasting, which is what I uh, decided to major in in college. And, you know, after I guess midway through college and after college, I felt like, you know, that really wasn't for me. Um, but that's what I wanted to do growing up, be, be on TV, talk on sports center, um, because I was always able to articulate myself very well. Right. And I was all, I, had, I never had a problem doing public speaking or, you know, speaking out um, on behalf of others or obviously, you know, on behalf of myself. 
did you lose that passion for it or did something else come in your life that you kind of went into that direction? Um, I think that the ability to continue athletics post-college became more of a reality for me. And once I started to see that, then the aspect of my plan B started to fade away, which isn't a problem because plan A started to accelerate. (laughs) Talk about that athletic journey in college. What were you doing and how was that experience for you? Um, Well, I attended USC, University of Southern California, um, down in LA. Went there on a full ride football scholarship. Uh, Football was my second sport. Um, I didn't play football until I was a junior in high school. So got a scholarship to USC, wanted to go there, wanted to be, you know, obviously close to my parents, uh, my dad growing sicker and sicker. I didn't want to be too far away from, from them, um, from my family, but yeah, I just wanted to, you know, play football at USC. I mean, I, I graduated high school in 2009. So at the time, um, USC was running the table from 07 to 08 and so forth. What kind of position were you playing and did you kind of try out different positions at that time? In high school, I wanted to play wide receiver. Terrell Owens uh, still is to this day my favorite football player. I wore 81 because of him. And, you know, the things that I saw him do on the field, uh, I felt like I could do the exact same thing just because I was his size, right? <laughs> um, maybe not all the way, but just a little bit. So I went down to play defensive end. Um, that, that's what I ended up playing um, in high school. Those, those wide receiver dreams kind of faded away because my high school coach felt that uh, playing DN was a little bit better, a little bit easier for me, more natural. Um, went down to play defensive end, outside linebacker uh, for about four years. And then my fifth year in college uh, made the transition to uh, offense, tight end. Did you have a preference on why or like during that time, like they should have had me be on the offensive line then? playing defense or were you kind of like they must be knowing what's best for me and I'm just going to follow it and try to prove to them that I should try out for this position well you know Alex it's it's really interesting Um, playing tight end was just like playing basketball for me right now just to take a step back because I played football so late in my career um, the aspect of catching on and playing as well as others on my team that have been playing since they were, you know, a child. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a huge gap, huge learning curve between myself and others. I had the physical attributes, you know, I was big, bigger, faster, stronger than everybody else. I've been that way since sixth grade, but at the same time, being able to be physical on the field and, you know, throw my body around and tackle people and understand what it's like to just naturally get hurt all the time. Um, because I played basketball my whole life, that wasn't something that was too natural to me, right? So it took me a while to catch up to speed um, with my teammates. So while I was in college, um, I didn't play as much as I as much as I wanted to, as much as I thought I was going to when I signed my scholarship to play down there. So it it, it was definitely tough because on Saturdays, as a you know third year junior, fourth fifth year senior, um, I'm sitting on the bench and I'm watching guys play ahead of me. Now, that being said, when the opportunity for me to play tight end arose, it wasn't an issue because, you know, one, I wasn't playing anyways. And two, I'm a team first guy. Right. And you have to lead by example. So if that's what the coaches need me to do, then that's what I'm going to go. That's what I'm going to go out there and do. During that time when you were sitting on the bench, was the co- there a lot of competition and were you always thinking, 
how do I kind of beat the competition so I can be playing every Saturday night instead of just sitting on the bench? I knew that it was a situation to where the coaches are going to play the guys that they'd like to play. So I can go about it two ways. I can go about it and have a terrible attitude, or I can do what I have to do to try and catch up to where the coaches can look at me and say, all right, Kevin Green, KG is what they call me in college. KG, you're up. So the only way that I can close that gap was to work hard behind the scenes. Um, even though I didn't play as much as I'd like to, one of the things that the coaches, you know, and to, to this day, they always say, you know, KG always worked hard from the aspect of watching extra film, staying longer in the weight room, doing drills, staying, you know, early out on practice, staying out late after practice, just to close that gap. And um, to be honest with you, the opportunity for me to play as much as I wanted to did not present itself in college, uh, but it did after. So I, I really can't even, you know, uh, knock it too much. You talked about the dream of playing wide receiver. Tight end is kind of a similar position. I'm not that I, I know of football, but the positions are a little bit different. But did you kind of get that thrill where you're still able to be thrown the ball, run those passes and things like that? Playing tight end came to me way more natural than playing defensive end. Um, speed was something that speed is the main thing that got me to USC aside from my height and weight and stuff like that. So being able to show that speed while catching a pass, like really put me ahead of a lot of the guys who um, came in with me and a lot of our starting offensive players. My first practice playing tight end, I was wowing players and I was wowing coaches to where they were thinking like, okay, why didn't we ask this kid to play tight end years ago? Right? Like Kevin, Kevin could have been doing this for us. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, just like I said earlier, playing playing tight end is just like playing basketball. You know, going up to catch a pass is just like going up to catch a rebound, which was something which, you know, playing center power forward in high school, something that I could do with my eyes closed and one shoe on. <laughs> <laughs> Every time you say KG, I'm always thinking of Kevin Garnett because you talked about basketball and stuff. I'm like, man, these these like following these paths of like great players that like are living this legacy that now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Left Kevin Garnett growing up. During this time, your third, fourth, fifth year, are you thinking about, I want to go pro, or you know that it's not guaranteed that I need that backup plan? Yeah. Going pro, as I said earlier, was something that was becoming more of a possibility. But at the same time, because I wasn't playing at USC, I didn't have the game film. So in order for me to go pro, I had to uh, rely on my athleticism a hundred percent for coaches to take a chance on me for scouts to take a, to take, to, you know, give me some sort of opportunity. Um, but at the same time, I need to have that plan B, right? So be, uh, let's see, I think my, my senior year before my fifth year, um, I graduated early and I was able to take uh master's courses over, over at USC. So just in case football didn't work out, I was able to, you know, say I walked away from school with two degrees, which, which I did. Um, and, and that's just in case athletics didn't work out because, you know, I tell this to all, every single athlete, whether it be high school, um, college or professional, like, you know, you have to have some sort of a plan B because football is not going to last forever. It's so true. Cause like some players get an injury and the injury takes them out and their only goal was to go pro. And now their only option is that backup plan. What were you pursuing at that time with your master's and finishing out that degree? Cause you talked about broadcast journalism and you went in a different direction. 
Growing up in the Bay Area, technology is something that is of major interest to a lot of people, right? It, it is a field that a lot of people in the Bay Area um, gravitate towards, and a lot of people from around the world move to the Bay Area to be a part of it. Myself being from the Bay Area, I took note of it. So I wanted to get my master's uh, you know, within that technology field, which is what I did. And I just told myself, you know, Kev, if it doesn't work out, um, you know, possibly working at some of these huge tech companies in the Bay, you know, they, they would have to take a shot at you, a sh- you know, just a shot on you, really. Did you ever think that tech was going to be that way or it kind of was just the rise in the technology industry that kind of brought your passion there? Probably dating myself, but, you know, things like Twitter, Instagram um, started when I was in college. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, it went from being a, a small startup, you know, probably my last couple of years of high school to the huge conglomerate that it is now. Um, so, you know, while I'm playing football in college, I'm, I'm watching this stuff, watching these companies grow back home. And, uh, you know, silent, silently in the back of my head, I'm like, all right, Kev, you know, maybe you can be a part of this. I feel like that was a good thing that it came at the end of your college career because now it just deals with drama all over the place with all the exactly, social media. Right. right. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it definitely uh, Twitter and, and Instagram definitely was not what it what it is now back then. That's true, and just <laughs> the people knowing how to utilize it and what they do in utilizing those technologies. Right. It's like, right. can we go back? the previous years and stay in that kind of how mindset people were instead of what it is today. I mean, you know, Facebook started, I believe in, in 2007 is when it really, you know, came to fruition. I mean, this is back when you can only join Facebook if you have a college email account. <laughs> uh, email account. Like that, that, that's, that's how back it goes for me. Right. Wow. Um, so, you know, I graduated high school in 2009. So by the time I'm a freshman in college, you know, Facebook is really only two, three years old. So past college, what was next for you? You talked about how your only path to get to pros was to rely on your athleticism and your abilities. So was the combine or the training camps the only option? Or did you kind of say, I need to go in a different direction to get that game film and then be able to show them? Um, Because of my lack of playing time in college, I wasn't invited to the NFL combine. Um, the only way that I was able to get in front of scouts and coaches was to participate in uh, USC's Pro Day. Uh, Pro Day is something that every single college that has a football team, um, a majority of them, mostly all of them, they're going to have a Pro Day. And that's when scouts and coaches, they come and see who is at that school and see, you know, um, either get a second look of guys that they saw during the season and during the combine or find that diamond in the rough. I was fortunate enough to be diamond in the rough. Um, so I knew that that was the only way that I can get in front of coaches and uh, went undrafted. Uh, the only way that I was able to get into the NFL was being uh, invited to two different rookie mini camps, uh, one for the Raiders and one for the 49ers. So both basically California teams came and found you. Was that those teams something that you looked at and were like, I want to play for them? Or were there other teams that you kind of were like, I wish I was there? I'll play for anybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, and that's, and that's with, you know, if, if you have the, if you have the opportunity to be, to play in the NFL, like it doesn't matter if you're a starter walk on or a guy like myself, scholarship guy that never played, like, any team that's going to 
call your phone. Yeah, for sure. Like you yeah. want to want me to play ten buck too? All right, I'm on the way. <laughs> I'll take bucks if, if you need me to do so. Um, but what I will say is, growing up in the Bay Area, uh, with all of my family being Oakland Raiders fans, and me really not even liking football until uh, I was a junior. Excuse me, I was a senior in high school playing high school football in San Francisco, um, I adopted the 49ers. So, you know, if I could play for any team, it, it, it would be a dream come true. So talk about that next step. What was going on? What was going through your head mentally? And how did you prep yourself for it? Uh, just knowing, Kevin, you know, this is a shot that you have been waiting for your whole career. Um, I was fortunate enough to train with a lot of guys that ended up being first, second, third round picks in the 2014 draft. Um, a lot of them I still talk to this day. A lot of guys have gone on to play in the Pro Bowl and are slowly winding down on their NFL careers going into season eight and nine. Um, but I was also fortunate enough to train with Travell Gaines, uh, who, who was my trainer, who trained all these guys. And so I was getting the best training in the country the way that I saw it. Right. Um, so if I'm training with these guys and I'm keeping up with them from, you know, a bench press standpoint, from a 40, 40 yard dash standpoint, if I can run the same 40 as them, the only difference they have on me is they have way more game film, which makes a world of difference. But um, I don't think that coaches are going to really look past me if I can run as fast and, and, and I'm as strong as, as these guys I'm training with. For future players that may be listening to this interview, do you think that that game film really makes that difference or it's more, you talked about the abilities and I always think that it's kind of like looking at someone like they may judge you off of how you look and not think you're an athlete. But then when you're out on that field, you kind of prove them wrong. Do you think that's kind of the mentality that no matter what's going on, if they have game field or not, they need to prove people wrong and show these coaches that, I have that ability to play on that field every single week. Well, you know, even if you're in a position to where you're not playing, coaches are always watching. Scouts are always watching, right? Um, You may not play at all, but they're going to ask, you know, coaches, people around the facility, what's Kevin Green like in the locker room, right? How how does he treat other people around the facility? Um, How are his grades? You know, um, does he have any off the field things that may raise a concern? So they're always watching. So, whether or not you're playing or not playing, like you have to keep in the back of your mind that if that is what you want to do, then you have to uh, apply yourself on and off the field to make sure that if that opportunity is presented, you're able to answer the call. After training with those teams, did you kind of get an offer to be able to be on that starting squad or the practice squads in that case? Um, I did rookie minicamp with the Raiders first as a uh, defensive end. Um, my agent called me right after the draft. He said, look, no team's called, but the Raiders want you to come in and participate in their rookie minicamp, but they want you to play defensive end. I haven't played DN in about, you know, year and a half, two years. So uh, I'm like, all right, let me find the playbook. Let me try and dust off my old rules and see what I could do. Uh, rookie camp lasted about three days. There was myself and about 70 other guys. Uh, they kept two people out of the 70. Uh, the 70 guys that were, you know, unsigned, that they flew in to participate. They kept about two folks. After the Raiders didn't call me, uh, my agent called me again. He said, hey, the 49ers want to invite you to their rookie mini camp. Um, and it starts in about two days. <laughs> so, you know, uh, pack up your stuff. 
but they want you to play tight end. So I'm like, all right, perfect. You know, maybe something might happen, right? Now I can show like my real abilities that I've been training for and that I tested well for during my pro day. Um, same situation. They had about, maybe, instead of 70, it was about maybe 40 guys out for a rookie mini camp. And uh, the 49ers called my name after I was done to play tight end. And that's where I got my start. How did that feel when you got that call? Did you kind of feel a sense of accomplishment? I was able to succeed in something and show that I have what it takes. It felt very accomplished. I mean, as, as, as selfish or as cliche as this might sound, because I always tell people, you know, never identify yourself with what you're doing, right? With football doesn't define you. Um, not being on a team, I felt outside the bubble because everybody else that I went to school with um, that came out with me during that draft class, they, they were all on a team in some way, shape or form. And I was the only one that was still scratching and clawing. So when they called my name, I felt like I was inside the bubble and I felt like I was a part of something that, um, you know, as bad as it sounds that I can identify myself with. With the 49ers, what was next? Did start the actual season and getting trained or the summer camps and things like that? Uh, we started our off-field training. Um, I signed with them in May. So we did our off-season our off season training. Uh, we had like spring ball, if you will. Um, had about two months off, two and a half months off. Rookies report two weeks early prior to training camp. And then, uh, you know, training camp from there. As we say in the locker room, it's live bullets. You know, it's uh, it's real. <laughs> That's when things get real. That's when literally everything that you do from the beginning of training camp until the end, if you make it that far, uh, plays a part in whether or not you're going to be on that team or not. Was there any players in that locker room that kind of helped be a mentor for you or kind of make you feel comfortable being in that locker room? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, you know, as I said, growing up in growing up in the Bay Area, high school in San Francisco, you idolize the 49ers. And I was very fortunate because my rookie year was the last year before the Niners dispersed. Um, and it was the year after the the Super Bowl. So all the guys that I had, you know, a poster of that I would always watch on TV in high school were on that team from Vernon Davis, Patrick Willis, um, Justin Alden Smith, uh, you know, all those guys. Uh, because I played tight end, Vernon Davis was somebody who took me under his wing constantly. Right. He would always work with me, my uh, myself and my best friend that I met in the NFL, Asante Cleveland. He would always after every practice, he'd always make us do extra. Aside from Vernon, uh, Patrick Willis is somebody that I still talk to this day. Patrick Willis's head coach in college was my defensive line coach at USC at Ogeron, who is now the head coach for LSU. Uh, so there was that connection. Um Coach O had, you know, text Patrick. He said, hey, you know, look out for this kid, Kevin Green. He, he, he's, he's one of my guys. So Pete Willie and I would always, you know, go grab lunch. And, uh, you know, he'd always teach me stuff about the defense. Colin Kaepernick, he was a quarterback at the time. Um, he would, you know, there's there's how you learn the playbook in, in the playbook and how you see the routes. And then there's how Cap would see it on the field. So he said, Kevin, I know this is what the playbook says, but this is what I see when the safety does this. So run this way instead of that way. Everybody in that locker room played a huge part in my growth. Everybody did. Um, but I, I'd have to say Vernon Davis was the one that I stuck with the most. During that season, what was it like to be out on that field with all the fans cheering and going crazy and getting on the field and actually performing? 
Um, dream come true. Dream come true. But, you know, honestly, playing football at USC, we're used to that. And I don't want to toot our horn, but we're <laughs> used to that. Right? I mean, we're, we're used to having 80,000 people screaming at us when we come out the tunnel, as do, as does, you know, places like Ohio State, LSU, Florida. Um, the fans didn't really play that big of a part of distraction. I think the biggest distraction um, that, you know, you have to control is everything like off the field. Because once you're out there, you're just playing football. And when you see yourself have small success on the field, um, it makes you feel a lot more comfortable. Like, for instance, you know, me idolizing Patrick Willis as, you know, the, the best, one of the three best outside, excuse me, inside linebackers, Mike linebackers of all time. Um, at practice, I'm seeing myself catch a pass over him. It's like, oh, my gosh, Patrick is human, too. Right. Michael Crabtree drops a pass. Michael Crabtree is human. Colin Kaepernick throws an interception. I thought he was perfect. So seeing these things, being able to play well around these guys made me feel more comfortable on the field. So when it was time to strap my helmet on, um, it's just like practice. It's just like practice. It came extremely natural. You brought up you brought up something very important with off the field and distractions being there. Were you someone that looked at the media? You talked about Sports Center was something huge that you looked up to or you watched growing up. When you were done playing a game, did you kind of leave that behind and did not look, pay attention to what the media or reporters or anything were saying if you had a day where it didn't go your way? Um, I mean, to be honest with you, shoot, they really want to talk about me too much. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or just like the team in general. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there, there, there's stuff that they say about the team. There's stuff they say about uh, the head coach, you know, Coach Harbaugh. You know, this might be his last year. Um, you know, the 49ers are too old. Um, but aside from that, you know, what I really mean as far as off-field distractions can be things as far as, uh, you know, family. And mm-hmm. it can be things as far as, um, you know, women off the field, you know, and, and just being able to um, handle your money on the field as well, too. Oh, excuse me, off the field. The, you know, th- th- those are distractions that present themselves to every single, uh, you know, young professional athlete in the NFL when he first starts. And you have to be able to keep your blinders on, as my mom would say, uh, growing up to where you don't let them, you don't let those three things distract you. Um, you, you know, being able to manage your money, being able to tell, uh, family no, and being able to, you know, one, use protection when it comes to m- multiple women that are in your face, and two, being able to, you know, weed out uh, people who are not in your best interest. With being a young athlete, being in the spotlight, or being on a professional league, did those temptations ever get to you, or were you able to learn from those lessons that your parents taught you at a young age, and it helped you be able to navigate through everything? I mean, you know, temptation is always there, but you have to be able to balance it. Um, I like even to this day, right? And my my NFL days are over. I would never tell a player to, you know, yes, save your money. Right. Yes. Be smart with it. But at the same time, you've worked your whole life to make X amount of dollars. Mm -hmm. Have fun. Have fun with it. You know, like you want to buy you want to buy those Jordans. Go buy them because you can afford it. Right. Um, You want to go buy that car? You know, hey, you've worked your whole life. You've done a million push ups your whole life to be able to afford that car. Go get it. Go get it. Now, at the same time, you got it. 
Does that car define you? No. You know, do you need six of them? No. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> because you are a young rookie, right? Because you're not making, you know, $15 million a year like the guy two rows down from you in the locker room. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, like, you've worked your butt off your whole life. You've made it. Have fun. But be smart while you're having fun. Kind of a fun question. What was that first big purchase or fun purchase you made with your pro league money salary? Uh, well, I start off on practice squad, man. So uh, I still had my 2200 core while I was in the league. I mean, guys would make fun of me all the time. They were like, Kevin, I have a weed eater at home that's louder than your car. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it definitely wasn't a new car. Um, Asante and I, we, we were uh, really big fans of, of sneakers and stuff. So, you know, buying shoes all the time. I, I think buying like designer shoes, um, designer, like, you know, Yeezys and stuff like that. Like we see some Yeezys, you know, $700, $800. It's like, oh yeah, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you want, you want, you want, you know, card or, 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 or cash. <laughs> huh. So just stuff like that. Like I, I never bought anything too crazy. I, I never bought any jewelry. Um, a lot of my stuff was just on shoes you know, clothes and things like things of that nature. Um, I think I, I just remember <laughs> being able to fill my gas tank up uh, the first time I got some NFL money and being able to fill my gas tank up and not having to check my account to see if there's anything left in there. I think that was like my, you know, realization, like as far as off the field is concerned, like mm-hmm. I'm in the league now. You know, like I can afford these things. I don't have to put just 20 bucks in the tank to, you know, to put on half a tank so I can get from A to B. Like, yeah, I can fill the gas tank up six times over if I wanted. Little stuff like that. Right. Um, you know, when you're fresh out of college and you start making, you know, six figures in the league, it's like, damn, this this feels good. I just can't believe eight hundred dollar pair of shoes. I'm like, oh, is oh, your do you have a full closet right now of shoes like you know how like you go to these yeah. empty closets, just like floor to ceiling, it's just shelving. Yeah. I feel like yours is just shoes on this whole shelf. You know what, man? Um, it 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 very much used to be like that. Uh, <laughs> but at the, age of, at the age of 31, I mean, I probably have a four shoe rotation that I'm always wearing. So all the Jordans and all the Yeezys that I bought during my playing days, I mean, I gave half of them away and I sold the other ones to where it's like now, you know, I go for comfort instead of style. I can't do the bright colors and everything. I just go for the shoes that give me from A to B. <laughs> That's how you know? I am. I'm like, I don't care what these are. As long as I can walk in them, it feels comfortable. Exactly. That is fine for me. Right. That being said, um, I still do have a, a bunch of nice sneakers in my closet. <laughs> it, it, it may not be a room, but it's probably about <laughs> a closet full now. <laughs> So talk about, you kind of talked, or when we were initially talking, you had a short career. When you mm-hmm. had to change teams or the talk of changing teams came up, were you all yeah. ever nervous? Like, where the, am I going to go? But you talked about, you said, I didn't care where I went as long as I get to play. But talk yeah. about that experience and what was going on. Because I think nowadays with media and there's been big players and they're like, where is this person going? It's always like, how does that player feel in that situation? It's tough being cut. 
it's tough. I mean, when I first signed with the Niners, I thought I was going to spend the rest of my career there. Um, and not knowing, you know, what was going to happen if they did cut me, right? When they did cut me, I thought my football career, I, I thought it was over. I said, all right, Kev, well, that was fun. You played one year. Time to go back and fall back on your t- degrees that you got from SC. Um, but me not knowing how things worked, you know, my agent called me and said, hey, you know, this team wants you. So pack up your stuff. This is where you're headed next. Um, and, you know, just being able to build a new identity, um, build new relationships in the locker room. Um, one of the interesting things about the NFL and just being in that in that in that frat, if you will, um, is that guys get cut, moved around, traded all the time. So, you know, you may see a guy in across the country for another team that you had training camp with on the other side of the with the Niners. Right. Or you may see a guy that you uh, trained with when you were getting ready for pro day in the combine. And now you guys are on the same team. And so th- there's, there's that brotherhood to where it's like, man, look, look, man, you know, we're on the same boat. You could be here one day and not be here the next because I'm that guy. <laughs> <laughs> what were the different teams in your path during your career? Um, from the 49ers, I went to the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, from the Cincinnati Bengals, I went to the Carolina Panthers. And then from there, I went to the uh, Tennessee Titans, where I finished my career. Were each team a one-year lasting, or did any of these teams last more than a year? Um, my shortest stint was probably the Bengals. Um, that was more so just half the season. And then uh finished my, my uh, last two and a half years with the Panthers and uh, the Titans. Were you surprised how long your career was or were you just happy that you got to play and were happy with anything? Because a lot of people, sometimes they have that one season and then they're just done and they're just shocked at what happened because no other team wants to pick them up. I think for a guy in my position that went to, you know, arguably the best college, and I'm not even going to argue, that went to the best <laughs> college to play, to play football, um, that did not play football at the best college to play football, that got an opportunity to make it to the NFL. Like the fact that I was able to squeeze four years out is a dream come true, Alex. I mean, there there were there were guys that started over me and there's guys that were older than me in the same position that I played that did not play as long as I did. So, you know, the fact that I was able to do what I did in the league, just, you know, being on practice squad and stuff like that, or, you know, moving up to active a little bit, like, I think it speaks volume to my hard work and it's, it's definitely a blessing to, you know, that I was able to do it. So what was next? What was after the NFL when you kind of, you were done, you had those degrees. What did you fall back to now? Fell back into tech. Wanted wanted to move back into the Bay area, um, get into tech. I I felt like that was, that was my calling Uh, in particular in tech, getting into sales. Uh, to me, sales was just like being, you know, an athlete. You got to talk to people. You work with people on your team. Uh, you're coachable, you know, and I think just being like a personable person that I am, um, it came natural as far as communicating with with people. What's the biggest skill from your football days that helped you in working with the companies that you did work with or in sales or in tech? Discipline. Discipline. Um Anybody that 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 knows me when I first started my tech career uh, working at Salesforce knows that I was always the first person in the office every morning. 
6 30 a.m i'm in the office like literally turning the lights on and then people would trickle in and people would say man kg like you must sleep in here I'm like oh, you know if i could i would <laughs> <laughs> but you know just just the discipline aspect of being able to be assigned a task having that task be done at set amount of time um and just being able to do it day in and day out that's the biggest thing that i took from sports each day that you're working in tech, did you kind of get that passion and it was growing each and every day or did it kind of trickle each day? Like I'm enjoying it, but I'm not enjoying it. I feel like I could do, be doing something else. No, um, I enjoyed it because I was doing something well in something that I've never done before. So each day that I see myself, you know, excelling in, in tech sales, I'm like, KG, like, you you had no idea what you you know if somebody were to ask you um how to do what you're doing now a year and a half ago you would look at them like 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 they're speaking a different language right um so i had and i'm having fun with it uh because i'm seeing myself progressing in in something different outside of what you know my life was identified for <laughs> since i was 6 sports do you play any sports as like rec or something that kind of keeps that passion of sports back, like going back to basketball, unless you enjoy getting tackled still uh, with football yeah. or rec football, but do you kind of keep that going at the same time since that was a big part of your life? You, you have to, you have to, I, I think for a lot of, prof, you know, not even professional, but just ex athletes, right. When, when, when you're done putting on those cleats or dribbling that ball or whatnot, you have to find something active that, that keeps you going, that keeps you sane, that, that helps um, protect like your mental well-being. Um, I still play basketball, you know, just to get up and down the court, get some cardio. But uh, my main passion has been cycling. I bought a bike um, during, during the pandemic and uh, I'm constantly putting on, putting miles into that thing. Um, if not outside on my bike, I have a Peloton as well. And every single day I am on my Peloton, <laughs> uh, trying my best to beat out my buddies, um, you know, whenever we take classes together. So I'm, I'm always doing stuff like that. Yeah, I just bought not a Peloton, but something similar. And I just, I never thought I was going to be ever biking. But when I'm right. doing those classes and they're like at these amazing destinations, I'm like, can I just be there right now? But you talked about exactly. cycling. And so are we going to see you go from NFL Olympics and cycling? <laughs> I mean, you never know nowadays. You never know, man. Right now I'm, I'm in the process of, uh, I'm, and I say in the process, I feel like it's been going on for years since <laughs> I retired um, of just, you know, getting rid of all my football weight that I've had. Um, and just being able to slim down. So uh, in the process of doing that, but I think as far as next with the cycling, what I'd probably like to do is join a club, um, do it consistently every weekend. And then uh, I might do a little half marathon on the bike or something like that, man, do a little state to state or maybe, um, you know, it'd be a dream come true, man. If I can get into shape to where I can go from the Bay Area down to L.A. on my bike. How many miles is that? Driving is about 400. So oh, cycling. Wow. Yeah. So cycling, it would probably take me a week. <laughs> um, wow. But I would only do it, but I would only do it with some people that, that, that can help me up pass out on, on my bike going through the desert. I can't do it by myself. Oh, man. I actually had, there was a guest of mine. He went from one side of Canada to the other side of Canada on his bike. And wow. I mean, that's probably way more than 400 miles, but 
that that would be that would be i mean you talked about something like you talked about being goal driven or following your passions that would be a huge goal to set for yourself and if showing people in that you didn't you just feel that sense of accomplishment like when you made the pro team that that is you know what i mean it's it's i want to say it's a it's a goal i don't know if it's a i don't know if it's a goal a dream something that's just coming to my mind right now as I'm talking to you, you know, <laughs> we'll see Alex. I'm going to message you in a month and be like, so how's that cycling going? Are you almost to exactly, 200 miles right? yet? <laughs> as I'm sitting on the couch, eating a donut, looking at my bike on the wall. <laughs> no, that would be me just eating a bag of chips and be like, yeah, Kevin, I'm cycling right yeah. now. Let me send you right. a photo real quick. And it's, it's just going <laughs> exactly we'll put on the bike sweat filter <laughs> yes i would i would need to like take the bike off the platform and just right. take it outside and be like hold on let me get you a photo here <laughs> exactly so what is next for you what are you hoping to accomplish in the future personally and professionally we kind of talked about the cycling part but is there anything else that you want to accomplish i think right now um because i'm only three and a half, four years into my post-career, I love the progression that I've been doing. Um, I, I love seeing myself excel in something that I had no idea what the hell I was doing a couple of years ago. Um, and people ask me that, like, you know, what is next? What is next? And you would think three and a half, four years into it that I'd be able to have, you know, said goal, right? Um, but I'm just, I'm, I'm just loving seeing myself excel doing what I'm doing. Um, I don't know what's next. I have no idea. Um, if I were to pinpoint it, I'd say continue to be in tech, uh, continue to grow, continue to lead people through my actions, uh, continue to motivate them um, on and off the field, excuse me, in and out of the office, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> things like that, things of that nature. Uh, right now, I'm doing tech sales. I think next where I can see myself doing is more of a public speaking role. Um, within tech to motivate, you know, um, men and women of color to motivate minorities, to, to let them know that, you know, you can, you can do this too. And I know there's not a lot of people who look like you that are in this field, but don't let that, don't, don't let how, what, what you see in the mirror deter you from, you know, taking a part in this field because it's a possibility. So to answer your question, that's what I could see is next for myself. You're kind of like what's next is kind of similar to me. And I always say, I don't have, I have some specifics, but I always say continue to grow as an individual because I'm not the perfect person, but I know each time I can learn something about me or what I'm able to do, it makes me prouder. And I know this last a year or two years that we've all been going through this, a lot of people have learned so much about them, like what they're able to do, what they can't do. And Think it's been the best experience so far and I always say it's a positive because it brought me this platform and I get to meet so many great people but every interview I do I always learn something about myself and I enjoy each day that I get to do that I love that answer man I mean you know if, if, if that's what you're taking from it Alex then like you're clearly doing the right thing thank you have you had any opportunities with public speaking have you been asked to do any public speaking because you talked about that's something you want to get into or this is something that you feel that through your experience, it's kind of in a path that's not out there that no one is talking about it yet. Cause you kind of, the first time we talked, 
you kind of mentioned the whole, I'm a football player going to tech and there's not that many people out there that does that. And to me, that caught my eye because it's like, it's so true. It's something that differentiates yourself out there. Um, I've been doing public speaking since high school. Um, any, any player that, you know, went to college to play a sport, you get coached up on how to do public speaking, um, post market, you know, in the NFL, obviously post NFL. Yes, I have, um, my second year at Salesforce, um, I was asked to speak in front of a panel of about 500, um, minority students from all over the Bay area, um, spoke to them for about 30 minutes, had the opportunity to interview, uh, Miss Yara Shahidi from the show Blackish and Grownish, um, big time actress. So, you know, I, I had a lot of fun speaking to her, talking to her about her life and what she does off the camera. Um, so things like that, you know, I've done multiple, I mean, it's, I know it's not public, but, uh, I've done multiple podcasts like this. I've done, um, in-person interviews, um, that are recorded, you know, it's, it's on my LinkedIn. So I enjoy that stuff. I enjoy it a lot. I mean, I, I've always been that way. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? I'd say break down the barrier of being vulnerable. Um, I can only speak from, I mean, I can't say I can only speak from this perspective, but you know, as as black men, we have a huge barrier in front of us and we're scared to be vulnerable in front of others. I was talking to my manager um, a couple weeks about this, a couple weeks ago about this. You know, Kevin, what what's a weakness that you have that you're trying to break? I said, well, you know, whenever I'm in a team meeting or whenever something is being explained, at times it may go over my head and it hurts because I hesitate to ask somebody to repeat that mm-hmm. because I understand it. And I don't want to feel like I'm looked upon as dumb in front of my peers. And so I said, you know, that that's something that I'm working on. He said, Kevin, I appreciate you telling me that, you know, because, you know, the only way that you can get better is if you break down from that. And, and, and if you, you know, overcome that fear and that obstacle, because, as much as you feel like you may not know what the hell was just said, everybody else that that's in that meeting, it went over their head as well. Mm-hmm. So if you're the individual to ask a question, to have that repeated, you get looked upon as the leader and you're setting that example, you know, yeah. of putting, putting your best foot forward, sticking your neck out there, um, what have you. So if you want to, you know, reach those goals and, and whatnot, I'd say break down you know, the, the barrier of, of not being able to be vulnerable in front of others. Well, Kevin, I want to thank you so much for sharing your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Alex, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channels to the full length episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.